raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. One o'clock hour starting on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I did want to get to Stanford P's text real quick because he's been on one. He's always a really good texter. But here are some of the things he said Matt Rule is responsible for. He's responsible for burning Jim Salania's finger. If you don't know Jim Salania, one, he's a legend. Two, he called me babe on the line yesterday because he went into just robot significant other mode. He also said Matt Rule invented the text line. Thank you. Matt Rule is responsible for people being able to write us here on Wesson Walker. So a couple of the good ones there from Stanford P. We also have a good one joining us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Maybe he's called me babe before. I don't know. I mean, sometimes we have that I type bet of... he definitely has. Yeah, I, maybe I've called him babe before. We've been doing a podcast together for quite some time. It's Doug Branson of the Lockdown Hornets podcast and everyhornetsboxscore.com. Doug, how are you doing? Hey, babe. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, babe. <laughs> Appreciate it. Get a little weird, to be honest with you. I apologize for that. I'm the one that opened the door. I take full responsibility. I do want to talk a little bit about the Charlotte Hornets team and a positive, right? Because we did see the Boston Celtics just destroy the Charlotte Hornets. I didn't expect the Hornets to win with all the injuries, but one of the positives we can lead off with here, just a little softball for you, Doug. Let's have something positive to say about Jalen McDaniels who did score a career high against Boston. He scored 24 previous career highs, 21 against OKC. What have you made of his season so far as one of the players, Steve Clifford has really given glowing reviews about what have you made of his performance this year? Well, before we get to Jalen McDaniels, I just want to say it's great to be on the official Wes and Walker show, uh, but I do have to, uh, I do have to request that I like Matt rule also get a five-year plan. <laughs> Uh, but but do note that uh, in 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 the following years I will be bad at being a guest and and I will get worse every year. Okay, that, uh, but, that, but that's fair. Years, well, we can give you like I'm the be a great guest. yeah, that's fine. We'll give you a twelve year plan. It doesn't really matter because apparently he thinks he deserves like a decade long plan. So you're welcome as long as you want to, whether you're bad or good. Um, but it all starts right here with this Jalen McDaniel's take. Well, you know, we have to remember that last season he missed 19 games with the first ankle injury of his entire career. Um, And, you know, so it wasn't a given coming into this season, right, that he was going to be uh, 100% ready to go and ready to sort of make the next uh, step in his career. But, But I think he has. You know, he started off the season really hot from three offensively. He was a factor early in the season helping to, you know, uh, deal with some of the injuries that they had early in the season. But more importantly, he's been a really versatile defender who Clifford is used to defend multiple positions and multiple different types of players. He's generating steals and blocks at a good rate. Uh, you know, he has cooled down offensively, but he's starting to tick back up, and that 24-point game is is a signal for that. And he's one of the few Hornets that I think has a decent ISO game, turns it over a little bit too much, can drive the basketball, has to improve his finishing. He's been hitting corner threes. So there's a lot to like with Jalen. There's a full menu of things that he can become, and I think that's what has to excite you 
as a Hornets fan. All right, there's plenty of time to get into the negative. We will in just a minute. But I did want to ask you about what the best story is with this Hornets team. Is it Dennis Smith Jr. and his emergence after almost going to football, coming back and really finding a home with Charlotte? Kai Jones getting minutes lately. Is it PJ starting to expand his talent level a little bit more so? If I had to ask you what the best storyline so far for this Hornets team this year is, what would you say? He wants you to say Dennis Smith. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, listen, that's been a fantastic story. <laughs> Damn I, I right it has, Doug. the strangest <laughs> story, right? Dennis Smith Jr. and Teo Maladone both kind of found money. Like, it's, it's, you know, Teo Maladone was signed just a few days before the season got started. He's been playing excellently on both ends of the floor. You know, these two-way players that the Hornets have been missing for years, they're finally getting them, but they got them in some strange places in Dennis Smith Jr. and Teo Maladone. So that's been a fantastic but a strange story. I think the best story is kind of the silver lining that you have to pull from the injuries that they've sustained. And that silver lining is the baby B energy. I mean, we've gotten to see a lot from not only Kai Jones and James book Knight, but also Bryce McGowan's got some good time against Boston. And so good or bad, you are starting to find out, you know, what, what these individual players have and what they don't have and what they still have to work on. We couldn't say that last season because we barely saw some of these, young players, which was a kind of a complaint from Mitch Kupchak and company about Borrego's tenure, or at least that final year, that they didn't have enough intel on these young players. I think one of the best stories is that we are finally starting to get that intel. Doug, talking about P.J. Washington, and he's having a career high when you're talking about scoring per game. What have you seen from his game? Are we seeing the best of him, and can he really be a replacement for Miles Bridges if we need him to to be that front court star? No, I don't think that he's going to replace the the Miles Bridges level of, of offensive capability. Uh, and, but I think defensively he's been super important. Uh, you know, to me, it's it's been all about P.J. Washington, like Terry Rozier, being asked to do some things that at the beginning of the season it, it wasn't very clear that, that he would be asked to do. Like P.J. Washington came into the season saying, I want to be a defender. And this Hornets team was going to need players to step up and say, yes, I want to focus on the defensive end of the floor, even if it means I have to sacrifice offensively. And then all of a sudden, one after another, the Hornets' main offensive pieces started to go down with injuries. And then you you turn and say, all right, PJ, we actually need you to score and score in a variety of different ways and sometimes score on your own. And that is, to me, a very new element of his game, being able to score on his own as opposed to being facilitated too. He's definitely done a good job with that, but I, but I think, and, and, and Walker has mentioned this on Locked on Hornets, that we kind of have maxed out what we're going to get from him offensively, and, and I, I don't know that there's much more than that, but, but that's not a slight. I mean, what he's putting together is like solid glue guy, solid role player. Um, that can be very attractive, certainly to the Hornets, but it can also be attractive to some contending teams later this season. And then flipping the page, still in the front court, Kai Jones, we've seen that he's starting to get more minutes and we're seeing some of that athleticism and all of the things that make us drool about his prospects. What have you seen from him and and what do you like about Kai Jones so far and how how much potential do you feel like that he has? Uh, An amazing amount of potential. I mean, he's obviously standing out for the highlight dunks, right? I mean, that's the thing that we love to see, that fans love to see. But he's also doing little things that I think are 
have earned him more minutes. Because you have to remember, like he's get it. He got these little four minutes first in the second and the fourth without really like a clear indication that there was going to be that opportunity. There wasn't like one particular injury or, or instance where you went, oh, yeah, obviously they have to go to Kai here. No, he actually, without us seeing it on the floor, he earned those minutes. And I think it's the little things that he's screening really well. Like for the amount of time that he spends on the court, his, his screen assist rate is super high. It's leading to buckets for the Charlotte Hornets. He's also helping with the help blocks. He's rebounding really well. He's able to put it on the floor, draw defense, and not turn it over. Now, he's not you know, necessarily like finishing at a high volume. He's not scoring a ton, but he is, he is showing you that ability to move the basketball and move a defense, and that's going to be super exciting to see as he moves forward and develops. You know, Everyone's focused on Victor Webinyama right now in this upcoming draft, coming in and like revolutionizing the game with what he can do skill-wise matched with his length. Uh, but there are guys right now like Kai Jones and Bull Bull floating around the NBA that are making highlight reels with women Yamish type skills. And so, you know, what I would say is like the future is now in Charlotte and it's Kai Jones. I just want to make note that Doug Branson brought up screen assists and it's the first time we've heard a good reference like that since Cody Zeller was in town. I mean, Doug, I, I'm surprised because you are a traditional box score guy. Well, listen, you know, it's okay to bring it up with him because he's giving you he's giving you the flash and he's giving you the broccoli, right? I mean, but the broccoli <laughs> is what gets him on the floor. Like, Clifford loves the broccoli, and he's giving you the broccoli. I Cliff. love the, uh, the analytics, too. I like that. When oh. he busted that out, I was like, ooh. Oh, yeah, screen assist. Yeah. Doug, oh, talk Let's dirty go. to me. Screen assist, what else you got? It's yeah, Doug Branson. I like the little niche stuff. <laughs> Anything for you, babe. That's right. for you, babe. <laughs> it's Doug Branson from Lockdown Hornets, also every Hornets box score. I did want to ask you about this, too. Something me and Fiddy have been uh, arguing about regarding the offense for this team. Fiddy has said Steve Clifford can't coach offense. I've said that it's unfair to say that with all of the injuries. I know we were digging into some of the first stint offensive numbers for Steve Clifford when he was coaching the Bobcats slash Hornets. What did you find when you went to explore some of those numbers from Steve Clifford the first time around? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's unfair to say he can't coach offense. I mean, he did turn around a Bobcats organization that was bottom five in the league in offense nearly their entire existence. And and by the time 15-16 rolled around that second playoff run that Clifford uh, was heading up, they had gotten into the top 10 in offense. Now, it's interesting, the way that he did that was by, you know, obviously leaning heavily on Kimba Walker and the offense that he could generate but also not turning it over, getting to the free throw line and making sure that they were taking shots at the rim and beyond the three-point line. Uh, you know, the question, I think, is can he coach offense in the way that the NBA has changed in that short time between 15-16 and now where everything is so high-octane, high-paced. It's the way the offense was built last season under Borrego. Can he maintain that? I think it's unfair to critique that because he hasn't had some of those tools that Borrego had to make that kind of thing happen. Chief among them, LaMelo Ball, obviously, but also they lost a, a lot of offensive punch when, when Miles Bridges, uh, you, you know, that situation around his restricted free agency and, and domestic violence charges, like all of that offense, he was going to have to figure out a way to replace. And then they lost Cody Martin, who was an essential part of the offense as well last year too. I mean, he was a spot up, you know, catch and shoot three point shooter. That was important to the offense last season. Here's what we know. This team is getting to the rim really effectively. They're generating open shots. Uh, they're just not making them. And, and apart from some outlier blowouts, 
uh, they've generally defended quite well. So Clifford has been able to install better defense. And so I think it's reasonable to assume that if this team had come into the season healthy, the defense still would have improved. And he probably holds the offense a little bit more accountable too and has some tools, and they'd be somewhere around league average. Now, Doug, Bryce McGowan's came in early in that Boston game when the game still mattered, I guess, for a little bit of time that it did. But he had 10 points of plus six, plus minus on the game. What do you think it's going to take for him to start getting a, a few more minutes out there? And can he really bring something to this Hornets backcourt? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, for him, it's probably going to be more opportunity-based, especially when, when the, the main part of the backcourt gets a little bit healthier. I think it's going to be difficult this season for him to see significant play play time un- unless there were more injuries. For him, I think right now it's all about the defensive end of the floor. I mean, I think offensively he's shown the ability to to knock down shots and to knock down multiple shots and be an impact player offensively. Yeah, but that ten- if you remember back in summer league, that ten- that tended to come and go. So against Boston, we 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 saw it, you know, in in high gear, but we've also seen what happens when Bryce McGowan's is not able to be effective offensively, and he, he struggles to, to really make an impact on the floor because defensively he, he has issues right now. He has to improve on that end of the floor. But, but I, you know, offensively he looks so comfortable, and he looks like he can get really to any spot he wants to on the, on the floor, and that's such a coveted thing to have as an offensive player. And so I'm confident that, you know, as, as the years progress, Bryce McGowan uh, can be a big part of this rotation. All right, that's Doug Branson from the Locked On Hornets podcast. You can also check out his Substack at everyhornetsboxscore.com. Doug, great stuff. We will decide to go ahead and give you that five-year deal. Maybe we can make it 10 with a certain clause if you do well on the next time we have you. So we appreciate the time, man. Thanks again. <laughs> yeah, five years going to be great. Five years. Lots of, lots of opportunities. going to be great. Okay, that, that sounds like Doug Rule right there. And we appreciate Matt Rule for also making the Lockdown Hornets podcast available to us and being responsible for the growth that it's had. Doug Branson, thanks for joining us to him. Also, we appreciate you guys listening to the Wesson Walker Show as well. We have plenty more still to come on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. I had been doing a pretty good job at it, but I did not turn on my mic that time. Fiddy, look at you carrying my water. I got two producers, one Doug Branson, one Josh Fiddy Marlowe. And here I was about to say that I was getting my producer to fight my battle for me. I was uh-huh. going to try to convince myself I deserve some credit, but then I can't even turn my mic on. Yeah, no, I, I did find it funny that you and I, we have had disagreements about Steve, Cl- uh, Steve Clifford's ability to coach offense. <laughs> and because I think, you know, deep down in your heart, I'm more right. Mm-hmm. You brought on my guy, Doug Branson, who is one of the greatest dudes in the world to talk to. And then, I mean, he just starts going in on me and Stanford P's on the text line coming to my defense, wanted me to hang up on him, <laughs> He did, <laughs> and, and which, which I just could never do to Doug Branson. And then in the post, you know, in the break, I was just like, you know, which one of us do you like better? Because mm-hmm. it's clear we both got to carry your water. And I think it's very clear that I carry the water better than Doug because I have to cut your mic off. Oh, now look at you. That, that was all you. I did not pin you against Doug when it came to that. I'm just telling you right now, that was all 
Paul Fitty coming with the smoke against Doug Branson. I did have him fight my battle, yes, because I knew what he was going to say. And he also softened the blow a little bit about it's not necessarily whether he can coach offense, but whether he can make that transition to the way offense has changed this year and in this second stint with Steve Clifford coaching the Charlotte Hornets. But fair enough, I did have both producers right there just going at it with one another. And you guys can share your thoughts on the Garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. You can also tweet us your questions, any of your thoughts as well, at Walker Mail, at Westcott Range. Also, the show handle is at Wes and Walker. How do you spell and, Wes? W-E-S-A-N-D Walker. Okay, uh, that's what I thought. So that is the Twitter <laughs> handle that you can also text out to. Go ahead and follow it, and then you can uh, share your thoughts there as well. I'm excited to have this conversation. ESPN Top 25 Players Under 25 list came out. Mm-hmm. Brian Burns ranked number 11, yeah. Wes. If you go to that Twitter handle we just talked about, you can see our video discussing a little bit, laying the foundation of Brian Burns being number 11 on that list. Now, you've been one to kind of go back and forth on whether Brian Burns should be traded for maybe two first-round picks and then a second that was thrown in there reportedly by the Rams. It is a haul. I know Brian Burns is good. That's still a lot, so it deserved a lot of attention. But also, you think he should even be higher, the number 11 on this list with some of the players you saw in front of him. Yeah, I thought so because of the position that he plays and then his production. You know, he's got 10 sacks right now. He's top of fifth in the NFL. I thought this list, I always find these lists interesting because we know how important quarterback is. So, like I said, for Hurts and Tua to be 9 and 10, I thought was a way too low. They should have been at the top of the list because quarterback is most important. But as far as Brian Burns' peers, I'd take him over Pat Sertain. Uh, I would take him over Quentin Williams. Uh, the tackles, you know, Rashawn Slater sitting at 7, and Quentin Williams is 6 for those who don't know about the list. And Justin Herbert, come on now. How is he not at least two? I could see maybe you put Michael Parsons on there, but I'm taking Justin Herbert over Michael Parsons. Like, I don't care. Whoa. I'm taking Justin mm-hmm. Herbert over Michael Parsons. Bro. I'm, I mean, I want a quarterback. Like, defenders matter, but let me know the last time Khalil Mack or one of those guys that have been these great defenders. Great defenders. I'm not taking anything from them, but let me know the last time they won a Super Bowl. I need a quarterback. Go ahead, Fitty. Look, it, it, this isn't me just coming because I'm a Cowboy fan, and there's no there's no doubt that Micah Parsons right now is the defensive player of the year. Have we overrated Justin Herbert? No, we have not. Like, like look, I, I, I see the skill set. I watch him usually every Sunday on my television screen because they put the mediocre Chargers on TV every game. <laughs> no, I've never funny. once come away saying, wow. Oh. Like, there might be sometimes where I'm like, know. okay. <laughs> but wow! I've said wow for, a few for times Justin Herbert. Him. Yeah, I've said wow a few times. That guy, yeah, he, he makes a wow throw that he loses because that's what the Chargers do. Like, yeah, because they have guys like Khalil Mack and all these defenders are supposed to be huge difference makers that don't make a difference. Quarterbacks make guys difference makers. Is he elevating the guys around him? I don't Hell think so. Yeah. I, they stay hurt Hell, all the time. That's okay. So here's Justin <laughs> Herbert should be number one. He's absolutely elevated the play of Josh Palmer, who had to take over wide receiver one responsibilities. DeAndre Carter, who had to take over wide receiver two responsibilities because Keenan Allen came in once after the first game of the year for about a quarter. And 
and then he just made his debut two weeks ago. So he's had basically all season without his number one wide receiver in Keenan Allen. Now Mike Williams has been banged up a lot of the season. So Mike Williams is, I think, coming back this weekend. That will really help. Gerald Everett is having the best year of his NFL career under Justin Herbert throwing him the football. Plus, you don't have Rashawn Slater right now. His left tackle is gone. So both of your tackles, yeah, the Chargers have had a huge problem with injury luck this year. It's actually worse than the Charlotte Hornets if you want to try to transition to a different league. And yet Justin Herbert has led that team to a winning record despite all of the injuries, offensively and defensively, that they've suffered. I don't believe they even have Joey Bosa, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's all, good Lord. He's always That's hurt. true. So, yes, Justin Herbert. Me, he's I would, too hard, I, and he's out. I have no problem with Justin Herbert yeah, being number I, one on this list. I would go six to eight for Burns because, like I said, Quentin Williams – He's just come on the scene. He's been a bit of a, I wouldn't say a, a total disappointment, but he hasn't been what we thought he would coming out. So I would put him in that six to eight range because, like I said, I, I would take him. If if we were drafting, I'm a GM. I'd take Burns over Sertain. I'd take him over Quinn Williams. And, uh, you know, some of the tackles, you can make your arguments there. But I would say six, eight, six to nine. Yeah, having Justin Herbert fifth is actually – Pretty yeah, damn low. That's crazy. I, I would have. Yeah, I mean, they got an offensive tackle. I love the offensive lineman. But come on now, if you have a chance to draft but, Tristan Wirfs or Justin Herbert, you're taking but, Justin Herbert. I, I have no problem putting Micah Parsons too, though. By the way, yeah, I'm I'm with that. Yeah, I, I go if I were to. So here's the list, right? I don't think we've gone over the list. So here's the list. It's Micah Parsons one, Justin Jefferson two. Jamar Chase, three. Tristan Wirfs, four. Herbert comes at five. Quinnen Williams, six. Rashawn Slater, seven. Pat Sertan, eight. Jalen Hurts, nine. Tua at 10. And then there's Brian Burns just missing out on the top 10. I think it's interesting with Quinnen because he had such high upside being a crazy high draft pick. I believe number two overall. Yeah. Didn't really fit the number two overall bill. Yeah, he hasn't been what they thought but, until this year. But then he's been an absolute monster yeah. this year. And mm-hmm. so that counts. It's a little like what we've seen from Derek Brown, except Derek Brown didn't have the kind of hype Quinnen Williams did. So Derek Brown coming into maybe what is the Quinnen Williams model if you want to put brian burns top 10 i think that's fine i think even when you talk about a tua right this goes to how much do you value what tua is doing on his own and how much do you think he relies on mike mcdaniel who can scheme him up with the best of them what he's done with tyreek hill jalen waddle that offensive line that's not phenomenal Mm -hmm. um what he's done there it's been really impressive but you have to give credit to Tua I mean he's not turning the ball over I believe he has the most passes in a row right now without an interception to this point so Tua being top 10 is is cool with me I I do think Brian Burns even being 11 goes to show you the type of respect that he garners from ESPN writers from national NFL writers from NFL teams right like with the Rams the way they're performing right now they were willing to give up first round picks and a second round pick to go get that guy. Just one player in Brian Burns. The reputation on him is extremely strong. And he showed you with his best performance of the season against the Denver Broncos this past Sunday. Yeah, they even said in a write up, they said they think that he's actually underrated when discussing the top pass rushes in the NFL. Now, like I said, I've had my qualms about the way he kind of makes his bones with some of those sacks. But I've been starting to see some of the things that make him that has him reaching his potential as a dominant pass rusher with showing that technique, showing the hands, being able to have moves and counter moves and beating offensive linemen consistently to raise havoc. And that's the thing. He has impact on games when you talk about this Sunday against Denver. 
you know, he started to really make things difficult on that Denver offense, whether you talk about the sacks, the pressures, batted balls. He really came out and played a complete game uh, this week. So, like I said, in that 24 years of age, you know, he's a freak. There's no doubt about that. And so 24, that's why I said I would not give up the draft choices because I just don't trust the draft process enough that you're going to go into it and find a guy that at 24 years of age is going to have 35 and a half sacks, 152 pressures, and seven forced fumbles in four seasons. That's going to be hard to find. Absolutely. And, and but I think when you talk about the talent with Brian Burns, too, when it comes to just pure talent, I think he's up there, right? Like as far as top five pass rushers in the league, I'm not saying he's a top five producer at that position, but they don't make him much more bendy than Brian Burns. Like that guy is running at a 30 degree angle around left tackle. Sometimes the speed is unbelievable. You know, talking with Al Wallace a couple of times, a former Panther defensive end, he always discusses the technique you can use at a small size and still be effective in the run game. If you go back to the beginning of last season, I think it was like through the first five games and he was top five in run stopping at that position, um, at least top 10. And so Brian Burns having the right technique, stopping the run that can really help him where he doesn't have to lose all that much speed. And he can actually gain some power by just anchoring a little better, finding the right hand placement against these big, strong left tackles that are also athletic. But nobody, no left tackle is going to be more athletic than what Brian Burns is, even at what I think is the most athletic position in maybe sports. That might be a fun debate, but you just go to so many different defensive ends. And now they're making like Julius Peppers was crazy when he came out. Now they're making a lot of defensive ends that can be 250, 260, and run four fours, four fives. Oh, that's light. Four sixes. 270. I know. I know. It's unbelievable. So Brian Burns, even with all of these edge rushers that are so talented and athletic, Brian Burns is is among the top of them. No, I'm not going to let you just, you know, be out here like that on my lineman because Tristan Wirfs is a. He's great. Freaky freak. Well, he's not as athletic as Brian Burns. Did you see him jump out of that pool? I've seen at 300 plus pounds. You got to think about it's, ratio. That, height, I weight. get you. I get Come you now. But, but if you're 260 and you're running what Brian Burns is out here, I'm going to value what Burns is doing more than worth athletic because that's how people do the linemen. This is why we jack you guys up and throw you in garbage <laughs> cans. That man, Tristan worse is 320, 330 pounds. Jumping and runs out like of a, a five pool, five forty or something no, like that. No, I don't that. think he runs a five five. No, I'm sure it's I'm not gonna like that. I'm gonna look him up, but yeah. he jumped. He he exploded out of the pool one jump. That is very impressive for a man of his size. I was, you know what? I, I did want to tweet this out yesterday, just real quickly. My girlfriend has really gotten into the thirty for thirty documentaries. Four and, eight five, homie. Yeah, that's pretty good. Talk to me. Uh, well, Brian yeah, Burns can yeah, say chase yeah. me down at four yeah, four. Yeah, yeah. You can say Tristan Wirfs is gonna throw him in the trash yeah, but can, but he's gotta five, catch but him. But to me, four eight five at three hundred plus pounds is more impressive than four or five at two fifty because Brian Burns is lighting the lighting the cheeks. I mean he's what what is Brian Burns now? He's like, like two fifty five. And and Tristan is what three? Yeah, three plus. I mean four eight five is more impressive. It's impressive. I know you gotta stick up more, for your left tackle brother. No, it's more impressive. Uh, it's 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 impressive. I didn't say more, you said that. It's more. Uh, it's it's impressive. <laughs> I go three put six the more. five three twenty man run a four eight five that's that's and a thirty six and a half vert. Come on now talk uh, if you do you think left tackles are the most? No, I didn't ath- say they're the most, but there's a lot of super athletic left tackles. I'm not saying there's not. No, but he's one of them. But I'm saying that 
his athletic index and his size is more impressive than Brian Burns. Stanford P said Matt Rule invented the 40-yard dash, and he <laughs> ran a 3-6 40-yard dash, by the way. Yeah, yeah, his athletic index and his size is more impressive than Brian Burns. I, I'll disagree, but fair. Like, Tristan Wirfs, he's very good. Yeah, boy, look, Brian Burns is crazy athletic. Are we just going to avoid all the but other Brian agility Burns is stuff? lighting up behind, though. He should be that athletic in his size. But no, this man because is they would make so many of them. Like There's Burns. a lot of guys that's 250 running four fives. But not a ton th- of them. Okay, that's fine. Brian Burns, to me, has as much talent as a lot of no, dudes he in is. the NFL. He's really talented. He's really athletic. But I'm just saying, when you're comparing athletic indexes, a 320-pound man, 36 and a half, his NBA players don't have that vert. But Werfs is impressive. I, I I think it's crazy athletic. I've See, seen oh, the videos is, and all this. Well, look, we there are plenty of dudes. Go look up athletes jumping out of the pool. Like we've seen but that three hundred and twenty pounds. I know. I'm talking about as well. I know. I know how much he weighs. I know how much he weighs. There's still a lot of people that I've seen jump out no, of the not a lot. Not that big. Look, you got me over here hating on Tristan Wirfs. I don't want to do that. I just wanted to say Brian Burns is crazy athletic. He um, is. Um, Steve Smith also thinks Brian Burns is athletic. Here he is on the Kyle Bailey show earlier this week discussing how Burns is reaching his full potential. He's an impact changer. He impacts the game. You have to account for him. You know, he knows what he's doing. His brother, Stanley, you know, he's worked with him, obviously. You just know when he was drafted out of college, you could see the potential, and it, it, it's happening, right? There's a number of guys on that defense that Frankie Louvu that they can all play. It's when you don't have to play for 40 minutes, when you can actually be fresh a little bit, that really helps you and, and, and gives you that boost. Yeah, it really has been. And the way that he played against the Denver Broncos, there's no doubt what he was able to do. Hold on, I got one more because I'm petty. <sighs> And then Go ahead. We can settle it. Okay. His four eight five attempt was the fastest ever by a player weighing three hundred twenty pounds or more at the combine. He outpaced quarterbacks, tight ends, and even linebackers. I rest my case. Thank I mean, you, sir. some some Thank you, sir. Not all the linebackers. Yeah, but linebackers. Oh, oh, but fastest <laughs> ever for a three hundred twenty pound man. Okay. I don't want to disparage Tristan Wirfs anymore. <laughs> That's what it's turning into to make my case for Brian Burns. I just wanted to shed light on how good Brian Burns is, how I think defensive ends are athletic. But yeah, Tristan but you Wirfs put your, is... But you put your juice on. You know how you do, like you do with Dennis Smith and... And J.C. Horn. Wes, you're you going to have to come you to put respect that hall the of fame. <laughs> you put that Hall of Fame juice on it. And you respect do it like passive aggressive. And then I'm like, okay, you know, hold on now. We got the... Bring it in. Wes, I don't know what it is about the juice disrespect, <laughs> but we're going to have to find something if we're going to coexist on Wes and Walker, man. Like, I, the, the juice is fine. I love Brian it. I'm Burns. just saying, I'm just going to give you some pushback. That's okay. You're, that, that's what you do as an offensive lineman. You push that's back right. and you I make push. sure. I did a lot of pushing. Are you going to make sure that I, are you going to throw me into a trash can as well? No, uh, I'm not you throw do me that. in the table. No, those days are over. Okay. Like I said, we get arrested for things we do on the field. So I can't do that type of stuff. <laughs> that's why football used to be a great outlet. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm going to be the one um, that is the meme calling somebody. <laughs> Mom. Wes threw me in a trash can again. <laughs> Somebody come help me. 704-570-9610. You can put your thoughts in about Tristan Wirfs alongside Brian Burns. Um, does this justify the Panthers' decision, though, to not take that trade, especially if he does something similar to this? He doesn't have to grade out at 90 every game, but if it's something similar to, like, 85 average yes. for the rest of the year, that's what allows you to not trade him for two first-rounders and even a second. Pass rushes do not grow on trees, and I think you see that by the Panthers not trading for him. Like I said, you can't it's not easy to go into the draft and find a dominant pass rusher or a really good pass rusher. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that's not easy. So when you get one, you have to hold on to them. I mean, I'm sure it would take a lot to get. Call the 49ers and see what they would give, what you got to give up to get Nick Bosa. Call the Chargers and see what you had to give up to get Joey or, or some of those top, top guys. It's going to be a whole lot. Um, some people are writing in. I do want to get to the honorable mentions for the Panthers, too. A couple of other players to take note of. Under 25. Somebody mm-hmm. wrote in, hey, Walker, throw dirt in his eyes if he throws you in the trash can. That's your only <laughs> shot, basically. Yes, I, I'm not going to do that, but it probably would be my only They'll shot. Me we- like they did tech. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, we did have one question I'm interested in to ask you, Wes. A three three six number wrote in: Which pass rush move gave you the most problems in college? What was a pass rush move that you were like, man, this is not something that I am fantastic at handling compared rush, to other ones? I'll be yeah, because my balance that was something that wasn't a stup, super strong suit of mine. So I did have problems with bull rushes sometimes. Did you ever get like any NFL love at all? Like, did you get did well, any teams? I, well, I know we never told this story, but yeah, by the time I got done with college, man, I just was over it. You were done with football. You didn't want to play. Yeah, anymore. I just, I, I really didn't, man. And I know it sounds crazy to some people, but college no. was such a grind that by the time I got done, I was like, man, I want to do something else with my life. I'm sure. And I, and I looked at other guys and I saw guys that were more, that had more accolades and things like that than me in college that were bouncing around as free agents and stuff. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. And I knew that. Uh, you know, I would probably would have ended up going a free agent route, something like that. And like I was, undrafted free agent. Yeah, and I was like, I, I'm not. I'd rather do something else. Yeah. So did did anybody ask you if you were interested, though, and then yeah, you were kind of like downplaying it? and stuff like that. Because, like, I remember a Yancey Thigpen. That's a blast from the past. Oh, hell yeah. He had an agency, like, in Winston-Salem, and his agent, like, called me and asked me. One of his people called me and stuff like that and asked me um, about it and things of that nature. Yeah, but yeah, left tackles make a lot of money if you pan out, though, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can. I don't think I would have been a tackle in the NFL. Though. Well, I, I know you've been a little too small. You would, you would. You think you'd just be eating a lot and being guard or something? Yeah, like six three and some chain. I would say, like when you give me the real measurement shoes off, like six three and a half. 305, that's like a guard center. Type. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little short. But Tristan Wirfs is smaller, though. Like, yeah. I, I think he's shorter. So, But you but you can jump out of a pool. Yeah, I'm, I, <laughs> well, I was pretty athletic, but I think my vert was, well, I had, I think I was like 29 and a half. It wasn't 36. Yeah, because if you were, then you'd be Tristan Wirfs. <laughs> and also, we wouldn't have the Weston Walker show We anymore. would not. But no. now we well, do. Well, we might. So, look, maybe you're not making the NFL checks, but you're making so much more by working alongside me. <laughs> and, of course, by hearing the Fitty Flash, which is what we'll go to right now, the second one of the day. What you got, Fitty? I do want to state for the record that had I not torn my ACL playing church basketball, <laughs> I would have gone pro in the NFL. <laughs> Uh, that's what stood in the way between me and making millions on the gridiron. Okay. Um, <laughs> coming you. up next, we are moving towards the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but a big night last night in local hoops where, Walker, your alma mater. That's right. In, what a finish. In, in one of the best rivalries in the local area. They took down Davidson on a buzzer beater in dramatic fashion. It's taken Ron Sanchez some time, but he feels like he's got that 49er program heading in the right direction under his watch. Yeah, he does right now. This is the thing that's always been my defense of Ron Sanchez. It's the fact that if you go back to the first time the pandemic hit, it was right at the end of college basketball season. The Charlotte 49ers finished top four in the conference when they were projected, I believe, to finish bottom four. And then Charlotte got hit hard. Look, 
everybody had to deal with it. Charlotte, no different. This was a huge year for Ron Sanchez, but the fact that they were able to get that huge win against Davidson, I believe they're off to a six and two start now after the win, maybe just five and two, but only two losses. It's it's big time for Charlotte to be able to figure this thing out, and I'm hoping they can continue it once they get into the meat of conference play. Really like what Sanchez is doing, and Ali Khalifa, baller. Was a baller last year, playing pretty well right now. I want to see them in the tournament. The NCAA tournament is always that much more fun when we have the ACC teams and the local SEC teams. But when Charlotte's in there too, that is that's really cool. That finish last night was insane. I mean, I wish I would have been there. The second shot was harder from Threadgill. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, you love to see Charlotte getting some national love, albeit a, a buzzer beat, a highlight or whatever. But, yeah, I really want to see them get this program going again. Charlotte is better when the Niners are a good team. We'll talk some college basketball with Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer going to be joining us at the start of the 2 o'clock hour. We'll still talk some college basketball, the ACC Big Ten Challenge preview. Duke facing Ohio State, North Carolina going to Assembly Hall to take on Indiana. We'll preview some of those games coming up next. Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ talking some college basketball watching my alma mater last night get the big win for what is the most beautiful trophy in sports the Hornets Nest Trophy I love that it's back in the hands of the 49ers I love it more than any other trophy Super Bowl no thank you Mm. LOB no I'm good don't need any of that no MVP trophy give me the Hornets Nest Trophy and all of its glory that is that beehive that looks maybe a little bit nastier than what a beehive should. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've yes. seen this trophy picture. I have not seen it. Uh, no, bro. <laughs> Why is Sam Darnold making an appearance with the trophy? I mean, look, you asked, and, and he wanted to let you know he has not seen the trophy. Okay. I'm sorry, Sam. No, you haven't seen that trophy. Um, it's beautiful, though. Now, Ohio State, Duke, Indiana, North Carolina – they're not really playing for a trophy. They're maybe playing for the conference, though, to see who is better. For some pride right now. And what is the last year of the ACC Big Ten Challenge? Is that right, Fitty? Yes. That yeah. is correct. Crazy, yep. man. I, I had not remembered that after we were talking about what we could discuss today. And I'm going to be sad to see it go. This is one of the things I, I really enjoyed watching at the beginning because you would get your tournament games that were always going to be impressive, whether North Carolina was going to New York or Hawaii. I always wanted to see what the heels were going to do against some of those teams that were also included in those tournaments and Duke as well you know we'll see them take on somebody monstrous at the beginning we've seen them face Michigan State we've seen them face Kansas and then you had before Christmas what you could really bank on as far as other big time college basketball matchups it was the ACC Big Ten Challenge then you'd probably have to wait for the new year before you really started to get into real conference play. I know that's not necessarily true as the years have gone on, but that's kind of what I remember growing up with. I'm going to be sad to see this thing go. What about you, Wes? Uh, in a way, but I'm, you don't care I'm as much welcoming. As me? No, I do, but I'm welcoming the SEC challenge because we're going to get Duke and Carolina probably alternating versus Kentucky every year. We're going to get that, even though we've been getting that yeah. for the most part. 
But you're going to get some good matchups with teams from the top of the SEC and teams from the top of the ACC. And ACC, SEC is a thing, you know. I'm an ACC guy. I don't like the SEC. I just respect them a lot. And so, yeah, I'm I'm for that, though. I'm, I'm with a little bit of the change. As a hoop head that you claim to be, Fiddy, how much are you going to miss the ACC Big Ten Challenge? I'm going to miss it, you know. I'm, I'm not going to miss having to go to East Lansing. I'm not going to miss having to go to Bloomington where Carolina is tonight. Oh, but they beat up on Michigan State. I, Tom I know, but I hate I hated playing in some of those venues. It does give them a reason to have them play Kentucky whenever they don't meet them in the CBS Sports Classic. I, for one, am excited for Carolina-Arkansas because that was a big thing in the 90s with those two teams meeting in the tournament. My only wish is that they would have put it where the Big 12 SEC Challenge was, which was in January. Because conference play now starts in December, conference play kind of just gets kind of gets drug out. If you give me a weekend of high-profile matchups out of the conference, I think it would give some birth and life to the college basketball regular season. But I am excited for something new. All right, let's start with North Carolina and their matchup against the Indiana Hoosiers. Here's Hubert Davis discussing Caleb Love, really specifically Caleb Love, but also R.J. Davis's shot selection in their most recent outing in the four-overtime loss to Alabama. Well, just getting the shot, not only that one person wants, get, getting a shot that everybody agrees upon, everybody <laughs> wants, and just understanding the difference between a good shot and a bad shot. You know, a discussion not only have I had with, with RJ and Caleb, but I've had with the entire team. I, I count bad shots as, as turnovers. Just the importance of consistently taking high percentage shots that you practice and practice, practice before and after practice, and Shots consistently that you shoot in the game. How many turnovers did they have in that game? Big subs right there until he started saying names. At first, I was going to say big subs with cheese, lettuce, tomato, whatever you want to put on it. Then he started to say names, but that's true. That's going to be a vital part of their season. You don't want to get into a tournament game. Big sub subliminal. He was subliminally uh, talking about, about Caleb. Subtweeting, subreferencing. Yeah, sub. Gotcha. Hey, yeah, you listen, listen to rap. You now know I about the subs. Jersey Mike's, damn it. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. you listen to rap music. You know about the subs. Yeah, big jersey. I, I like the, the, my favorite thing is when slang gets so far away from the original point. Like we can get six degrees of separation from yeah. the actual meaning. Big subway, big jersey. Yeah, like Mike. if I'm subbing, if I was like, man, cats be getting on my nerves. Oh, man. Oh, Davis right now. Yeah, no if I said tall it. guys with WNBA shirts getting on my nerves, that's big stuff. Oh, that's pretty direct. <laughs> Not I'm, big wearing, I'm Nobody, wearing a WNBA right, shirt as I'm we speak. You. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm That's subbing. direct. That's as direct as it gets. I didn't say your name, though. It's a bright orange hoodie in your face. <laughs> you look like a traffic cone. I do. If but I yeah, were to stand still, I would force you to drive around. Yeah, there. those are things that need to be said, and it'll be interesting tonight to see what it is. Uh, because they have a tough game on their hands. We know they're coming off of two losses. Uh, this is the Indiana team. You know, they get up for games like this. This is what you go to Indiana and Carolina for. We know all that good stuff. But, yeah, Kayla Love and R.J. Davis, they need to be judicious and play a more efficient game if this Carolina team is going to be what we want them to be. I mean, they're averaging almost 83 points a game. But that field goal percentage, the three-point field goal percentage could be a lot better. As Fiddy said, that rebounding needs to come up, but they're going to have a tough game on their hands tonight. Let's keep going back to the Kyle Bailey show, Paul B. and Cardi. Cardi B, as we call him. on. Mm. I'm just going to say that we call him that on this show. He was talking <laughs> about Carolina and whether they should be concerned about the rough weekend they had in Portland. They know who they are. They have a good identity, but they still must understand a couple things. Number one is the commitment on the defensive end. Number two is, is late-game execution where Caleb Love and the other guys have to play through Amando Baycott when he's on the court. He wasn't on the court in the Alabama game. But when he's not on the court, 
how are they going to score the ball? And, and it can't be just, you know, you jack it up, I jack it up, because teams that they're playing now and that they're going to play in the ACC will beat them if, if their offense continues to, you know, take bad shots. So I'm, I'm really high on North Carolina. I think they're just trying to work through some things. But overall, I mean, this is a team who's, who, you know, has, has a great chance to get back to a Final Four. Are you saying he should be high on them? Yeah, you say of course he is. Because everybody is, right. is your point. Can we have the leaky black discussion now at some point? I'd like to talk a little bit. We can. What's the leaky black discussion that you want? <laughs> well, you know, I posed a question. I just asked, you know, he's been there for quite some time. And I would love to hear Fiddy's response on this, too. I mean, what do Carolina fans just think of the fact that we know that you could kind of call him a 3 and D guy? I mean, he's shooting 41% on the season, but nine points a game. He's been there forever. And I just wonder what guys like that, especially wing players, when you can't score the basketball at a regular rate like that. I mean, coming into this season, he averaged five points per game, six points, seven points. I just can't wrap my mind around how that happens. And I'm like, when you work out and practice, what do you work on? Are you, like, working on screens, defensive drills? Like, what are you doing that, as a perimeter player, you have little to no offensive game? That just blows my mind. If they could, if he was averaging 12 to 15 points, they'd be almost unbeatable. I think the thing that I get the most frustrated with is that his form hasn't improved. Hasn't improved. If you watch him shoot the ball, it doesn't look fluid. Oh, that NBA range three he took and hit. I that was a no, 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 yes moment in that oh, Alabama that was, game. No, that wasn't a no. Oh, that was a no to I, whatever. Right. Yeah, right. So, so I, I think my biggest problem with him is isn't that he's not a good shooter. Is that Somehow, for some reason, he's not a slasher. He should be a guy that should be getting back to bucket after bucket. And I don't know if it's not that he doesn't have the basketball IQ of how to do it. I don't know if it's just not in our offense. I don't know, but I have never in my life watched a guy play basketball at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for four years and not improve on offense. It always happens. I mean, when you go back to guys, especially this is more so for big men at North Carolina, mm-hmm. but it still it, it still can transition to the other positions. Those big guys, especially though at North Carolina under Roy Williams, they would improve so much to the point where they're like getting some minutes here and there, not really impressive their first second year, and then boom, they're like player of the year candidates. A Bryce Johnson comes to mind. Remember how big Isaiah Hicks was, where at the beginning of his career he was fine, but you've seen that time and time again. Mm-hmm. Leaky Black was getting some of that similar play. And this is where you make fun of me for my love of defense because I value it at such a high level. Leaky Black still very clearly is a very good defender. He is. But offensively, I'm totally with you. To me, what do you have the capability of doing? Right. Offensively, maybe he's never going to be a great shooter. Plenty of dudes in the NBA can't shoot that actually play out on the on the wing, right? Like, that's something that happens to a lot of NBA players. But that's when you can become a really good cutter. He has the body. I think he has the skill set to be a very good cutter. Now, maybe Caleb Love kind of hinders that from happening because he's just going to be shooting 30 shots every once in a while, 24-20 in the NCAA tournament. So it's harder for Leaky Black to find his way within the offense. And so that's kind of hard. But I I totally agree with what you guys were talking about. Offensively, there should be something more there. Well, that's a good point that you bring up. I know the dog is there defensively. I don't question that. 
and he does hit some timely shots. But is the dog there offensively? Because, like I said, he has seniority over Caleb Love. How can you let the young guy come in and be taking your shots? You're like, no, I've been here. Okay, now that doesn't matter. He, to me, it does. Either. If I've been there and I'm and I'm a starter and I'm like one of the guys on but the team, you're not gonna come in here taking game? my shots. But you yourself aren't gonna well, lean on Leaky Black. Sa- no, but that's what I'm saying. If that offensive dog is there, then you like, nah, dog, you're not gonna come in here taking all these shots. I'm getting mine but, off too. But, but it's not. That's yeah, what I'm. That's what I'm asking. But but it's not. That's what I'm asking. It, do you think it's more of a mental thing with him where he just doesn't have the confidence offensively? To be better than what he is. Yes, because I think he's also, as we've seen evidence over the last four years, Leaky's also seen evidence over the last four years. And that's where I just think there are the limits of him not being able to produce from the outside where you do have to be. It's MKG, except oh, with a little bit like, better of a jump work, shot. That's why I'm you. like, what are you working on, though, when you work out? Well, look, anybody can dominate at Cox Mill High School with Shaked Bartol on the on, on, on the radio call. That's what he did. He's a with limited, Wendell Moore, I believe. Were they on the same yeah, team, too? Yeah. He's a limited offensive yeah, player. No doubt. And he knows that. So I think that's the thing, is that his first couple years, he, he, he didn't quite really know when to take shots. He's now learned when to, and that's why he's a much more efficient offensive player. This guy... The day Hubert Davis runs offense for Leaky Black will be the day that me and Hubert have to re revisit his position on the Carolina bench. <laughs> yeah, you're probably not doing that, but right, like there are there there are maddening stuff with Leaky quite a bit, and so that I totally understand that part of it when you talk about the offensive end. And North Carolina has a lot to work through if they're going to live up to anything close to the preseason number one ranking that they came in with. Let's go to some Charlotte basketball conversation. Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer coming up next. West and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.